Good afternoon and welcome to Midday Moms. This is Dorothy Polarski. I'd like to welcome each and every one of you signing on. I would ask as you're signing on to say hello to us in the chat box. Um, it's always a little bit strange hosting these things until you kind of hear from a few people and you know that they're there. So as you're signing on, um, please do say hello in the chat. If you're, you know, um, Kathy from, oh, I don't know, Cambridge, or if you're Linda from Lanai, we have a couple of people from Hawaii that join us. Uh, please do say hello. Uh, Nelsie Lopez from Milton is cheerfully here. Nelsie is one of our mother's group leaders in, um, in Milton uh, with the Diocese of Hamilton. A big, big warm welcome uh, to Nelsie. Thank you for joining us. She's doing such an outstanding uh, job. Aloha from Oahu. Hey, Lynette, it's good to see you here. Um, I'll never forget the day I delivered the How to Start a Catholic Moms Group workshop in Oahu. Um, uh, Paola from Richmond Hill, Tony from Stouffville, Susan Monaco, one of our Mother's Group leaders from Our Lady of Peace, and uh, of course, Claude. Hi, Claude. We're counting on you to start a Catholic Moms Group at St. Mary's Catholic Church in Dubai. Uh, we want to spread the ministry and we need you ladies to help us do that. Elaine from uh, Halton. Uh, hi, Claude. She says, hi, Dorothy. I keep on bugging her to start this group. Um, anyway, a big, big, big warm welcome to each of you. Uh, we're thrilled when you pipe in. We're thrilled when you say hello. Uh, Maria from Toronto. Ali Black, yay, from Iowa. Um, I think Father, Pe Father Paul Pearson has a little uh, bit of history there in, in Iowa or background. Um, Ali is also one of our Catholic Moms Group leaders, just recently started at Epiphany Parish. Ali, welcome. So glad that you could join us and so thrilled that you're ministering to the moms in your parish. So, I know, <laughs> I shouldn't be ignoring our guest. We have a remarkable guest. A big warm welcome to Father Paul Pearson. I'm really looking forward to telling you a little bit more about Father Paul. But before I do, I wanna share with you our ministry video because you all know the real reason we host these Midday Moms uh, sessions on Thursdays is to encourage moms to start a Catholic moms group. So we're gonna just show you our ministry video. And as you're listening to us, you know, maybe you'll hear the Holy Spirit say, yeah, yeah, start a mother's group, start a mother's group. We've helped over 55 parishes uh, start Catholic moms groups. We've got one in Alaska, we've got one in Iowa, we've got many across the Archdiocese of Toronto, uh, Mississippi, Minnesota. And so we've got a turnkey operation. We want to make it fast. We want to make it easy because there's so much work to do in the field. Um, so let's uh, just, I want to start sharing something with you. Here's Ermin. So most of you, I've said it once, I've said it twice. If you're interested in learning more about our ministry, it's really, really simple. Three words, Catholic Moms Group. Um, so just Google Catholic Moms Group. Three words. It's real simple, memorable. 
And if you want to start a Catholic moms group, um, we can help you start three types of groups. Groups for mothers only, moms and tots, or virtual meetings. And um, yeah, right now we are working with the Diocese of Toronto, Hamilton, St. Catharines, Diocese of Peterborough, and very recently we delivered our webinar to the Diocese of Calgary. So here's a little bit more about our ministry. We hope the Holy Spirit calls you to start a Catholic Moms Group in your parish. Mothers, by our very nature, we are nurturing, loving caregivers. We are social beings made for friendship and community. We are also spiritual by nature, made by a loving God to know him and love him, and to pass this love of our Catholic faith on to our children. But right now, many mothers feel overextended, distracted, and exhausted. Though as Catholics, we have the community of our church, many mothers attending Mass could not name the mom sitting next to them in the pew they share community and support among Catholic mothers is desperately needed in this hectic and chaotic culture. Your parish needs you to bring these moms together. Hi, my name is Dorothy Polarski. I'm the founder of Catholic Moms Group. We at Catholic Moms Group are on a mission to revive the vocation of motherhood. We exist to bring together like-minded, faith-filled mothers who crave community and are focused on spiritual growth, Catholic teaching, and fellowship. Can you imagine a thriving, engaged mothers group at your parish? A group of moms in love with their Catholic faith, ready to serve other mothers no matter what stage of motherhood they're at? you imagine what a difference that would make at your parish? Starting a mother's group, it's not rocket science, but working with a team who's done it before and who's done it dozens and dozens of times sure does help. The Catholic Moms Group membership site is an online community that offers training, resources, and dozens of tools for parishes to help them start a mother's group quickly and efficiently. We're here to provide you with a clear path to launching a Catholic Moms Group at your parish. All of our materials are 100% Catholic. We have clearly laid out meetup plans for both moms groups and toddler groups. We are obedient to the magisterium of the Catholic Church. We have created dozens of tools that are going to save you time and energy. And besides that, we love our Blessed Mother. We constantly turn to her for her intercession. You can make a huge impact in your parish, so join us. We are revolutionizing the way parishes start mothers groups by providing parishes with a Catholic mothers group starter kit and by nourishing and training a community of Catholic mothers group leaders across the world. It's time to start a mothers group at your parish. Join us today.
So it's an honor today to have a remarkable um, guest on, on Midday Moms. Um, I, I wasn't even sure that he would say yes, so he did. I was just so thrilled. Um, I'd like to introduce you to Father Paul Pearson. Uh, Father Paul was born of Mennonite and Southern Baptist parents in Illinois, the oldest of many siblings. His time during high school was filled with competing on the debate team and playing the cello. He studied intellectual history at Cornell College in Iowa, where he was baptized and received into the church in his final year before coming to Toronto for graduate work in medieval studies at the University of Toronto's Pontifical Institute of Medieval Studies. He received his MA, licentiate and PhD. He spent most of his life teaching at St. Philip's Seminary, beginning as a layman at the seminary's inception in 1984. A year after beginning to teach at the seminary, much to the surprise of his friends and family and him too, he entered into the community in 1985 and was ordained a priest in 1989. Since 1990, he has served as Dean of the seminary, teaching courses in fundamental theology, human nature and philosophy of God in the philosophy division, as well as many courses on St. Thomas's Summa Theologiae in the theology division. His seminar courses in the seminary on Dante's Divine Comedy gave rise to a three volume series of books called Spiritual Direction from Dante. He was elected Provo or the father of the Toronto Oratory in June, 2020. Father Pierce, uh, Pearson is extremely busy. So we're remarkably blessed um, to have him today. I've known him for quite a long time and am honored and thrilled um, to welcome him. And so we're here to talk about cheerfulness. Um, and I'm just gonna change the settings here so that we've, we'll have our focus on you instead of on the two of us. Um, Father Paul, can you tell us a little bit about what even cheerfulness is and is it something that you think comes more naturally to some people than to others? You know, what is cheerfulness? And let's 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 crack open the convo. There we go. I think it the, it really starts off with a problem. We tend to associate the way that we act and the way we feel with that immediate emotional reaction that we have. And some people are just emotionally more chipper than others. Um, I'm not one of those people. Um, uh, I, I, it's been years of training for me to be cheerful. Um, I tend to be a perfectionist and I tend to be perfectionist with everybody around me. And usually when people see me coming, they're like, oh, we're in trouble now. Um, so it, it, it's hard, it can be hard work. The cheerfulness we're talking about is a sort of state of mind that isn't necessarily an emotional condition. It's a state of mind that follows along trusting in God's providence and living the life of charity. Those are the two main things, trusting in providence. So that I have an idea that somehow whatever's going on in my life, no matter how crazy it seems and no matter how painful it is, that it makes sense. 
that is going somewhere, that is going to be productive, that God's doing it not to me, but for me. And, and the other part was? The other part is, is the life of charity, that somehow I know that I'm connected with Christ in this life of charity, that it's not just I who live, but Christ who lives in me, and that he's present in me and going through it with me, that I'm not alone in this. We often think of charity as this little thing that we have inside of us, a little check mark saying that we've been good, but it's actually a sort of pipeline between us and Christ so that he is alive in us. That's a, you know, that's a, a remarkable and illuminating um, perspective because I think that, I think a lot of moms and, you know, I was thinking when you were saying, oh no, you walk in the room and everyone gets a little bit afraid. Yeah. <laughs> that's how a lot of kids feel, oh no, mom's home. Mom's home, yeah. home in 10 minutes, better start cleaning. Um, but but I, I would imagine that a lot of, you know, women might have, uh, the emotional definition of, of cheerfulness. So I love this idea of, you know, trust combined with, with charity. Um, now, is it really something that we can work on? Like, how would you? Yeah. yeah. I mean, if it, if it were an emotion, you can't make yourself feel things. I mean, that's just sort of weird and doesn't work. Like if you're going to be cheerful, be cheerful, be cheerful. Well, that's like at best self-hypnosis. Maybe you can do it a little bit, but it's not going to last. No, it is something that we can work on. And it's something that we work on by building up this trust in God. That's the, where I really want to start. Build up the trust in God. And how do I do that? Once again, you don't just say trust, trust, trust until you can say it in the mirror and keep a straight face. Um, you, you, you actually have to make it be built upon real experience. Each one of us has enough evidence in our own life to be able to say, I know God's working with me. I know God's intervened in my life. And those moments, we really need to nourish ourselves on. We need to hold them close and meditate on them because those moments when they happen are so powerful that we think, God, I'll never doubt you again <laughs> until the next time. Um, and what we need to do then is to review those times and be grateful. The great example of this is, is Our Lady at the Annunciation and then in, with her visit to Elizabeth. When the Archangel Gabriel comes to her and says, you're gonna bear a child, um, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you'll be with child. And she's thinking in her head, what's Joseph gonna say? If Joseph says, that's not my baby, then she can be stoned to death as an adulteress. She's taken her life in her hands. Without even knowing what Joseph's gonna do, she gets on her donkey and goes off to visit Elizabeth because she knows Elizabeth, her older cousin is, is pregnant and needs to go help her. And rather than be worried about what's going to happen, she goes immediately into the review mode where she begins reviewing all her reasons for being grateful. And that's what the Magnificat is. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my savior. The almighty has done great things for me. Holy is his name. All generations will call me blessed. That sort of review of what God has done for us is what we all need to do when we're feeling a little bit overwhelmed. Say, so, you know, listen, God's invested so heavily in me right now. He's not going to blow it after all these years. 
Um, and I, th I think that that idea is, is, has to be based upon our own experience. You can't listen to somebody else's story, although that can be encouraging. You have to have your own. You have to have your own experience of, of God in your life. And it's there for each one of us, but we don't pay much attention to it. So I think this is where it really begins, noticing God in our lives and then working at being grateful for that on a regular basis. For people who have trouble doing that mentally, I say, get a book and write it down when you remember it and go back and reread it every once in a while. Um, it's, it's very important that we have this storehouse of gratitude that we can go back to whenever we need to. So uh, a takeaway for some of the moms here, because I'm, I'm very often saying, hey, you're not here just to feel good in the moment. You're here with a call to do something as a result of one of the sessions here. Um, so one of the takeaways, moms, is you know, to grab a journal and start making a list of all of the times that God has interceded for you and that which you thought was a crisis turned out to be a blessing. I, I was having a short conversation with my son because he's interviewing for different you know, jobs and commercial real estate. And I said to him, you know, you might get the job, you might not. The important thing is not to worry about it, but just keeping for, you know, keep moving forward. I said, um, I'll never forget the time I, you know, I'm the type A and I had the 15 things that I wanted to get done in a day. And I was on my way to the Bank of Montreal and a thousand and one things came in the way. And so I was late and I was so angry at myself for being late and not being on time. And when I got to the bank, the bank was being robbed and it was <laughs> boarded up and there's police officer there. And I thought, oh my gosh, you know, had I been on time, I would have been in the bank during the robbery. Um, and I've got like dozens of, of stories like that. I, I actually keep a little gold envelope. And when something happens like that, in that gold envelope, I'll put some evidence of it, or mm -hmm. I'll actually take a picture of, you know, the moment to, to seize it. So um, I think it's a great idea, you know, to take hold of those moments and trust, you know, my mom used to say, there's nothing bad that happens that good, you know, doesn't come of it. So I know that's only only part of it. Any, any other suggestions, uh, Father Paul? Well, I think the other thing is since the other side of it was from one side was trust in God, the other side was charity, is that if I am feeling down, if I'm feeling unconnected, I really need to make sure that the pathways of my heart back to Christ are wide open. And one of the first things we need to do is go back to the sacraments. We, when we're feeling up, we feel like going to the sacraments. But when we're feeling down, we need to go to the sacraments. That's when we need it. You know, it's when we're feeling, oh, I don't even know whether I should go to communion today. I feel just horrible. I've been, uh, I lost my cool on the way here. I'm you know, upset with my kids in the back seat. You know, I'm not the sort of person who should go to communion today. No, in fact, you're the sort of person who needs to go to communion today. This idea that somehow being regular with the sacraments is a reward for my having gotten my act together means that you'll never be ready for the sacraments. <laughs> so <laughs> we, we really need to see the sacraments not as a reward, but as part of the solution to the problem. And that when we're feeling fragile, 
we need the sacraments more. And by that, I mean both communion, but also going, getting to confession. Because well, I, I, we're all like this, but I think most women are more like this than, than most men. We're great at storing things away. And especially the stuff that we, we feel bad about, we regret, it's so easy for us to allow that to accumulate in our souls and to become this black hole inside. And we, so confession becomes a very important part of keeping ourselves from collecting the spiritual garbage of everybody around us and storing it inside our hearts. Hmm, that's a, a, a loaded, loaded comment there. <laughs> I, try, I try to pack things in. I never have much time, so I just go boom and. Let's not let's not miss words. So. Um, I guess the other takeaway, moms, is, you know, in order to receive grace, um, we need to be a sort of clear conduit, right? And so if we're sitting on resentments and we're sitting on anger and we're sitting on unconfessed sins, it's actually blocking, you know, supernatural joy. And, and so, um, When's the last time you went to confession? I like to ask people, right? Um, and so when you're feeling down, um, it's interesting too that you say that women have a tendency and you know I know it that sometimes we, because I'm a woman and I've done it myself, accumulating the yeah. you know, resentments yeah. and then sort of just letting someone have it um, instead of you know going to the, the, the confessional. Um, and, and women do have a sort of particular tendency. I, you know, one of the hardest things for me to observe is, uh, and I struggle with it myself, is, is not being able to actually feel the blessings and the beauty around you, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, many of us are very blessed and, um, you know, it's a beautiful day and we can't kind of feel the sun in our hearts. Mm -hmm. So the sacrament of confession might be an anecdote to that. Um, now, are there times, Father Pearson, where it might be more appropriate to be sad or angry or? Certainly, the, the, the real Christian joy that we're talking about here is supposed to be a constant thing, but it, it, real joy can actually coexist with the fact that I'm grieving, for example. I remember back in 2004, 2005, in 15 months, I lost my mother, my sister, my grandmother, my aunt, and my uncle. Well, yeah, I was like, boom. <laughs> and not only, not only that, I ended up doing the funeral for three of them. Oh my gosh. And it, so it was 15 months of just overwhelming emotionals, um, emotional uh, exposure. And somebody said, well, how are you doing? And I said, badly, I think. Um, <laughs> I mean, exactly what's the right answer to that question? I'm fine. Um, of course you're overwhelmed and of course you're sad. But underneath that sadness is a conviction that somehow this is all in God's hands. I had the joy of having my mother and my grandmother convert after me. And my grandmother converted in palliative care. Oh my goodness. <laughs> she woke up from a coma with Mother Teresa's sister standing around her saying the rosary and, and ended up converting because she wanted to go to heaven with, with my mother. Oh my and yeah, <laughs> so, <laughs> it's a, it a really wonderful thing. So 
is that sad or, or is it somehow still is charged with this hopefulness? Now, I think when we're connected with the church, when we're connected with the sacraments, that makes it easier to see that hopefulness. The confidence of having somebody die with all the sacraments of the church, die ready to meet Jesus, allows you to be so convinced that they're going to be okay. Yeah, they might, they might have some purgatory time, but you know, they're going to make it. And that changes things so dramatically. And so, but even with my, my father, who was not a Catholic, um, when he died, I still had to say, God, it's in your hands. You loved him more than I ever did because you made him. You're fighting, you've been fighting for his salvation far harder than I was. And I feel safe leaving it in your hands. So, Father Paul, what might you do? Because, you know, sometimes moms write me and um, I often say, look, I, I'm just like, you know, a Catholic personality. What you really need is a spiritual director. <laughs> and what you really need are the big dogs. <laughs> I'm just here to encourage you to engage with the, with the big dogs and to get a spiritual director and go to confession and, and all of those things. And, you know, I've seen it over and over again. And, you know, just yesterday I got an email, you know, a mom is struggling with cancer. Another mom wrote to me and said, well, her, you know, daughter, you know, tried to commit suicide several times and, you know, the emails are coming and coming and, well, how can I be cheerful? My husband just died. And, um, you know, I, the only thing that I could do is kind of take example from my own mom. And right. I was joking that she broke her hips. She was knocked down by a friendly dog in Bellwoods Park and she had osteoporosis and the owner left her there. And anyway, there we are in Emerge and my mom's, you know, screaming as they're having to straighten her legs before surgery. Mm -hmm. And she's like, Lord, I offer up my suffering for past sins. I offer up my suffering, you know, and I'm like, Ma, can you offer some, uh, your suffering for my past sins? She goes, no, I have enough of my own. <laughs> <laughs> so of course I did burst out laughing in this yeah. moment. Yeah. Can you talk about how we might use, you know, real suffering and try to find the joy in it and what can moms say to themselves and okay first there there are three things i think first of all and this is really big for moms it's your job to take care of your family and most moms take that extremely seriously like seriously to the point of being pathological um like it all depends on you well god knew what a defective person you are when he gave you children <laughs> <laughs> he knew what he he knew what he's getting into he had no delusions that you were somehow going to be the perfect person and so he his plan from all eternity is for your children has included the defective you and you do the you do the best you can but as i said god you knew what you were getting when you asked me to be a priest you knew what you were getting. This isn't a surprise. You're all knowing. So first of all, so relax about that. God brought about our salvation through Pontius Pilate, King Herod, and Judas Iscariot. 
he can work through you for the salvation of your family. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to have you back, Father, if you'll help us at all. Okay. So so I think we put ourselves in this very counterproductive guilt trip so often. I've been a bad mother. I can talk to a mother and bring up being a bad mother, and I can reduce somebody to a state of tears in no time. It's the universal button for mothers. Mm-hmm. I've been a bad mother. Mm-hmm. And that is so ridiculous, to which I usually say, probably you have, but that's all been, <laughs> probably all been, it's all part of God's plan. Just like my seminarians who call me in a panic the day before their ordination say, Father, I, I'm not worthy to become a priest. And I said, of course you're not. <laughs> and, so, I mean, nobody ever thought you were. Nobody is. But God chose you anyway. And so we have to be peaceful with the mess that we are. Ooh. Willing to move ahead. Peaceful but, with the mess. I got to write that one down. Yes, okay. <laughs> yeah, so I, and, and that really is an important part of the incarnation. Christ sort of entered into our mess and was willing to do that. Willing to get in up to the elbows. And so really, you're going to get in the way of the salvation of your children? You think you're that powerful that you can stand in the way of all that grace? Of course not. I was brought up by a Southern Baptist and a fallen away Mennonite. And look, I ended up being a Catholic priest. God uses all of that. So first of all, calm down. When you start blaming yourself saying, really, God can't work through me or around me? Of course he can't. So that's the first thing. The second thing is when something big happens, especially something unexpected or something painful, say, God, I know that you're involved with this. I know that this is your plan. I don't have a clue what's happening, but I trust that you're doing something. And whatever it is you're doing, I'm looking forward to seeing how you make this turn out. I start looking for what God's gonna do with it. My favorite story of this is I was in the final for a big scholarship at, when I finished university and would have sent me to Oxford and would have been it's very, very fancy. Hoity-toity. <laughs> yeah, very, very hoity-toity. And um, I made it to the finals of this and I was, had gone off to another town and was being interviewed by Supreme Court justices and the state senators and things of that sort. And in the final interview, a state Supreme Court justice mentioned that one of my applicant, one of my references had mentioned I just converted to Catholicism. And he started yelling at me, he said, you could not be a, a historian, you could not be unbiased because you're a Catholic. And it just sort of went crazy. And I, I'm trying to answer, be calm and say, well, you know, it's, it's all, everybody has a point of view. And we, every historian needs to take that into account and trying to be rational. And he just gets more and more upset the calmer I am until finally the whole interview sort of falls apart and I leave the room. I didn't get it. Everybody in the room thought I got it. When they called the, a guy's name, they looked at me and clapped. And, <laughs> but it wasn't me, it wasn't me. And afterwards, one of the people on the committee one of the um, interviewers said, I should file a, a lawsuit with the American Civil Liberties Union for discrimination based on religion. Mm-hmm. They would all be witnesses to it. Mm-hmm. But you know, I just become a Catholic and I thought, 
God must know. God know this is God knows this is happening. God could have made it different, but he didn't. This is what he chose. And you know where I ended up going instead of going to Oxford? My second choice, which was Toronto. And <laughs> <laughs> look at all the lives you've blessed. Oh well, my see, and, and I, I, I sometimes wonder what would have happened to my soul? I don't worry about the rest of you. What would have happened to my soul if I'd gone off there? And I think God knew what he was doing. He said, no, 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 that's not good for you. You just go to Toronto. Yeah. Keep see, that soul humble. <laughs> but in, but it, it, in one sense, it was this enormous injustice. Mm -hmm. It was so unfair. Mm -hmm. But God worked through that. Remember, our salvation came from the most unjust action ever. Mm. The, the sacrifice of a perfectly innocent person who turned out to be the second person of the Trinity, <laughs> which is, when I think about it, sort of scary. That's how our salvation was brought about. So we obviously think that God can take suffering and turn it inside out. So my, the, our first reaction as Christians need to be, God, what are you going to do with this? Because God's like the perfect recycler. He takes suffering and injustice and turns it into something for you. My, my favorite passage from the New Testament is Romans 8.28. All things cooperate unto good for those who love the Lord. That is, is a perfect example of this. What looks like is happening to you when you see it through God's eyes, through those eyes of providence and trust that we have in providence, it now is happening for me. And that becomes a way of me being sort of peaceful about the whole thing. So, and then, so the first thing we said was that um, calm down, not to take it all upon yourself. Secondly, to see what God is doing in the midst of all of this. And the third thing to do is to say, God, help me to be, instead of being, looking back and being, focused on what went wrong. Help me to look, because you're going to be opening a door. Help me to be responsive to you at the moment, because something's happening right now, and I need to have my antennae up. I need to be ready to be receptive, because you're ready to open a door, and I need to be ready to walk through. Yeah, I think, can, can I say two little things? Here? Yeah, please. Um, one thing that I've caught myself doing, and I've seen a lot of other, I was going to say women, but people doing as well, and it's kind of been an area that I've been trying to work on, is that, you know, when an injustice does happen, so let's say, you know, yeah, your husband leaves the socks on the floor for the 32nd time, even though you've had 32 conversations about it, or you know your your son your son comes home later like something happens that upsets you you know yeah. your daughter-in-law isn't whatever uh, a lot of women or people I should say and myself included in that moment um, have a tendency to make a huge mistake and that's to add personal sin on top of their sin yeah. rather than remaining a channel of love, right? Like, so someone mm -hmm. 
upsets me because yes, they behaved unjustly. And then I start, you know, dropping F-bombs or I start slamming doors. And mm -hmm. so all of a sudden, you know, a bad situation is worse. And now I'm the one that has to go to confession twice, right? Mm -hmm. So can you talk a little bit about that moment, you know, yeah. that moment where we might be, you know, yeah. emotionally triggered or upset? We've had the conversation 800 times. You know, my daughter-in-law isn't treating me the way that I want to treat. And then I start gossiping, right? Well, right. So can you talk a bit about that? Sure. That's really important. It's really important point you bring up because we live, as I said, in a very messy world. And so the, the injustices, the things that aren't the way they're supposed to be are going to happen all the time. We just got to get used to that. That's just the facts. So if you're going to allow that to veto your happiness every time it happens, you're never going to be happy. If you're going to wait for the world to treat you right before you can be peaceful, well, wave any sort of Catholic joy bye-bye. It's just not happening. You have to be able to be joyful in the midst of the mess. And so the first thing we have to do is to say, my emotional reaction to all of this is somehow still my choice. It's, I have to take ownership of that and say, when I throw a hissy fit, who suffers? Well, to some extent, the person I th throw at, how often do you do this entirely in your own head or off in your own room? And you, you make yourself miserable. And this ability we have to inflict suffering and you throw your conscience off. Now you feel horrible. I have to go to confession, blah, blah, blah. You, you have darkened your own soul. Mm -hmm. And I, we put ourselves in these positions where we are now feeling really fairly horrible. And if I had, if I had acted by letting go of those emotions, I wouldn't have been damaged by them so much. See, I, most of the pain we have is not just the evil that happened to us, but this toxic reaction that I've produced to it. Have you, have you met people that seem to enjoy their resentments? Oh, they, they cultivate them like they're prize roses. Um, yeah. Because yeah, they prune it, them and take care of them. It's like bonsai trees. Resentment is an art form. It's an art form, but it's such a dangerous and poisonous art form. It is. And it's, it's sometimes it's a bit, um, sometimes it's a bit bewildering. Um, and, you know, I, I fall into it myself. And um, anyway, so, you know, the, I think that's important to remember mm -hmm. that, um, that, that your joy comes from God and grace comes from God. And uh, again, I was talking to my son a little bit earlier today. There was a time where I was national training manager for, you know, Tupperware Canada. And I traveled across the Canada and the U.S., you know, of teaching sales reps. <laughs> Burp and seal, burp and seal. <laughs> yeah, they used to send me to, you know, all sorts of really exciting places to, uh, you know, for the day, you know, do, you know, do you want to go to Palm Beach for the day to train? So I'm like, sure. I'm evident. But, uh, you know, I'll never forget the day that there was a new uh, VP that came in 
And, you know, she called me in and she said, you know, can we go outside for a few minutes? She lit up a cigarette and she started blowing the cigarette literally in my face and said, you know, we're making a few changes and uh, your contract's not going to be renewed, even though like sales were um, taking an incredible turn upward. And it, it just, it didn't make any sense. And mm -hmm. of course I was in a rage, you know, we had just gotten married and oh, oh, I was like, oh, what are we going to do? And uh, it was funny the the upshot of that was I ended up getting pregnant and I was trying to get pregnant and couldn't get pregnant because I think my body was under so much stress from the traveling and from, you know, and so finally when I lost the contract and kind of collapsed and cried and had my little, <laughs> I finally conceived my daughter, Monica, which many of you know, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so again, like my mom had this saying, there's nothing bad happens that good can't come of it. And it is based in, in scripture. Now, uh, Father, can you tell us a little bit more about um, St. Philip Neri? Because it was actually oh. his, one of his quotes inspired me to contact you and yeah. speak about this topic. So tell us a little bit more about uh, St. Yeah. Philip Neri. St. Philip used to say that if he had to reduce his, sort of his plan of life down to just a couple words, it would be cheerfulness and obedience. And he thought, in the end, he thought, long-faced saints, he said, we have too many of those. In fact, his real opinion was that long-faced saints, saints who were sort of, weren't, 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 weren't really saints at do all. Do that again, do that again. I like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh. yeah, they, they weren't with saints at all. Says, because if joy is a byproduct of a life of charity, if you're not joyful, it's usually a sign that you're not being charitable. And so really, when you look at the saints, we like, look at Mother Teresa, look at John Paul, look at the people who we associate with holiness. And what do you notice about them? There's a certain sort of, there's, there's a scene lit from within. Mm -hmm. There's a joyfulness. Mother Teresa was joyful in, the ghetto of Calcutta. I've been there. Said Massadour Tomb. I, it's a difficult and challenging place. And to smile every day. She, when she, if they're at the mother house, if people would come down, the, there's a big staircase. And if people come down looking sort of, she would say, <laughs> go back up to your room unless you could be cheerful. The poor don't need that. And for her, it became a requirement of being able to spread the gospel, that you'd be cheerful. So if it's really a byproduct of this life of Christ inside of me, this, this trust in providence and this life of grace, then it's always a bad sign when a Christian doesn't have this sort of background joyfulness. As I said, it doesn't contradict the fact that sometimes I'll be upset or hurt or grieving. All those things are true. But this underlying loving trust always makes us think God's in charge. I'm a little kid in the back seat. And so again, I, I, I love the idea. I just want to re-emphasize it, you know, to moms that are listening here, is the whole idea that um, joy 
and suffering uh, can coexist, you yeah. know. So you can even think, you know, recently I was at a at a funeral and and of course everyone was devastated about the death, but they were, you know, relishing and laughing about the memories of, you know, yeah. the Italian mom that made everybody be there every Thursday, you know. Um, so th there was that, you know, the, the sorrow and the joy. And some people, like I've met people too that maybe, you know, for example, they, you know, lost a loved one 25 years ago, and they're still almost as if they lost that person yesterday. Yeah. Uh, do you have any maybe tips for people like that that are kind of dealing with almost like a chronic, I don't know, sometimes I just think it's a bad spirit that's sort of taken root in them. Any, it, you well, know, I don't know, I don't know. It's, it's a, that's, a very, that's a very difficult question because I think sometimes that is a real emotional problem. It could be, a, a, you know, it triggers a sort of chronic depression. So it sometimes goes beyond the limits of what's purely spiritual. Okay. Um, so I think you know that's just sometimes the case. But I think to focus on the fact that somehow God has something special in mind for this stage in your life, that he gave you your husband, he gave you your marriage for a particular length of time, and that was a blessing. And now he wants you to use that blessing for this next stage in your life. And without taking anything away from the fact that you were, this was something wonderful. And if somebody says, you know, he was the love of my life, I won't be able to ever think about anybody else. Said, Fine, then don't. But don't, <laughs> but, but, but don't waste it. Mm -hmm. you, you've been given something special. Use it. Use it. So, Father, how, how, would, you, how would you respond to, you know, the, the woman or the person? And I've even... You know, I've even mm -hmm. heard a priest talk about this, and sometimes I felt like <laughs> going up and boxing the priest's ears. Uh, but he said something like, "Oh, that 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 you're being a phony, like that you've got to be, you know, authentic." And I was kind of like, "I wasn't raised that way. I was raised, you know, to put on the smile, and I was raised to mortify." Um, you know, whatever I might be going through, everyone doesn't need to know about it, including my husband and sometimes my family, right? Um, you know, there's some people that will accuse you of being, you know, phony, right. pretentious. Right. And, you know, cause like sometimes when I'm hosting mother's group, you know, people might, that might be knowing exactly what I'm going through is it, well, but you didn't mention this and you didn't mention that. And, you know, I'm like, well, it's none of their business. And I'm here like a flight attendant on the behalf of the Catholic church. I'm not here to dump my suffering and my pain on these souls. Like that's, that, that would be wrong. And um, so how would you, how would you comment to those people that want, might accuse you of being phony, for example? Yeah. Well, I'd say, first of all, that I don't talk about those things a lot myself. I was brought up German, so that's partly partly it. <laughs> I'm, I'm brought up east of you, Dorothy. I was East Prussian, so I yeah. Um, but to tell you the truth, now I don't even I don't even think about those things so much myself. I say if I say God, this is you, you're in charge of this. I leave it in your hands. What am I worried about? Let it go. Mm -hmm. Get. I, I have things that God has sent me to do right now. Mm -hmm. And if I really believe that he sent it to me to do, and I love him, then I should put throw myself into doing it. And mm -hmm. you know, so often 
I find consolation in that. How many times have mothers had to go through horrible grief and what kept them out of the loony bin was the fact that they had to get up and make breakfast for their kids and get them off to school. Mm -hmm. God bless the fact that you have obligations. It gets you outside of yourself. Mm -hmm. And this is where charity is so healing. We always think of being charitable as being nice to other people. Well, no, charity is is a recipe for sanity. Mm Because if you get locked inside of your head, Mm -hmm. you are going to be a crazy person. Mm -hmm. That's, That's not a good place to be. No. And this is why Christ says, in order to find yourself, you have to lose yourself. In order to live, you have to die. You have to let go of analyzing you all the time and get busy with the people around you. The life of charity is really healing. It allows us to think about others rather than ourselves. I was very sick about eight years ago, nine years ago. and But I'd already promised before I got sick to go down to the Kingston, Jamaica, into the ghetto with the missionaries of the poor and teach a course. Well, by the time the course came up, I was really not, shouldn't be traveling. But I went anyway. I was all swollen up like this on prednisone. I looked like I'd escaped from some chemotherapy ward. And my hair was all... My hair had fallen out, uh, <laughs> this, this, this part did. And it, it, it looked awful. Uh, the guys who picked me up at the airport cried when they saw me, they thought I was dying. Um, somebody said, well, why did you come? I said, it hurts when I'm home. It hurts while I'm here. I could at least be busy mm. and doing something useful. Mm-hmm. There were moments when I forgot mm-hmm. about the pain. And, and this is so beautiful because, um, you know, there are so many duties that mothers have. And exactly. I, I know with young moms, you know, sometimes I, when I begin the topic of the duties of a mom, don't say duty, that triggers me, that triggers me. But, you know, to me, they're such a gift, right? Yeah. You know, the yeah. duties are, are such a gift. Um, can you say a little bit, you know, I'm being a bit selfish asking you this question, but um, I think a lot of women might benefit from it too, is that, that sometimes when, you know, a lot of women, me included, we, we make ourselves cheerful with chocolate or cheerful with, yeah. pasta, um, which of course makes you gain weight, right? Um and which of course makes you miserable and which of course, you know, you need to go to confession because now you're uh, gluttonous. And can you talk a little bit about artificial cheerfulness and maybe yeah. what women can do? Mm-hmm. Cause you hear so many moms too now, like wine after wine, like I'm talking glasses of wine and uh, oh, oh my gosh, there's nothing worse I don't think than a drunk mother with her, with her children, right? Um, yeah. I, anyway, I won't even, that, that would be another conversation, but yeah. can you talk a little bit about that? And that could almost be an entire session, but I think, I think what, what, what we see here are sort of what I call consolation prizes. Um, we think, you know, my life isn't the way that I want it to be. It's not the way it's supposed to be. Therefore, I deserve a little prize. I deserve a little consolation, you know, it's, and there's, it's very understandable. I get it. Um, but it, it really doesn't work very well. 
first of all, because you feel guilty about it most of the time. Um, it doesn't really do what it's supposed to do. And every time we, I notice myself tending towards any sort of indulgence, I have to ask myself, what's really the problem? What are you running away from? And those questions almost always make me say, well, so many, everybody is expecting everything of me. You know, nobody seems to be able to do a thing for themselves. I have to be, I, I'm now in a community of, of 15. And um, yeah, I sometimes feel like a single parent of 15. Um, <laughs> and just before I was almost late getting onto you because somebody knocked on my door and had, I just have three questions. And I said, and I just have six minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God, <laughs> glad you're so quick at the uptake. So, but the, the um, but I think we have to attack that because I think that there's this underlying assumption that the life that God has given me is somehow this burden. This thing that is so heavy and really undesirable that I need to be compensated for it. This goes back to this idea of God doing it to me rather than God doing it for me. I think I have to trust that somehow the life that God has given me is, is helpful for me. Because to tell you the truth, God doesn't need you. <laughs> God, 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 God could have done this all by himself because he's all powerful. The only reason he included you in his work is to help you. So when I'm, when I'm thinking about all the things I have to do, well, these are all the things that God asked me to do for my sake. Yes, I'm a busy person. I run a seminary, I run a community, but that's because God knows I run small countries in my spare time. So I'm, he need, knows I need a lot of things on my plate and you know, he gives it to me. Mm -hmm. And but for the most part, if we just let go of the resentment about it and say, God, you're not doing this to me, you're doing it for me. And don't allow ourselves to indulge that resentment. I'm the oldest of seven. I, I grew up with a baby on my hip. Um, my youngest sister was born when I was 16. My mother had fallen and hurt her back. She was in my bedroom overnight. I got up three times a night when she was a baby, when I was in third year high school. Um, and so I understand those things. I understand how overwhelming it can be. But I think my life has been changed by the fact that I have that. Mm -hmm. And my relationship with my siblings has been changed by the fact that I was able to give that sort of care. Mm -hmm. And I certainly know that my priesthood has been changed by feeling fatherly in that way. Mm -hmm. And I look back and think, I was so blessed to have had all of that. Even though as a 15 or as a 16 year old, it seemed a little overwhelming. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Most 16 year olds don't have to do that. No, no, they don't. But um, it equipped you in a, in a couple of ways. I'm sort of um, getting a little sensitive here about the time. I, I don't okay. want to. Um, do, if we go a, a minute or two over, are you okay? Yeah, I'm okay with that, yeah. You're okay with that. Um, I just wanted to... Um, Go to the chat here. Okay. Yep. We've got Hi Father Paul from Linda at Nativity in Toronto. Hi Linda. Hi, hi Linda. Great to see you. 
And then um, Tina, I'm in an Amish Mennonite country, county in Indiana. So um, welcome, Tina. Do any of you um, have any questions or any thoughts that you would like, um, you know, Father uh, Paul Pearson to kind of expand on? Because I, uh, I feel a little bit selfish. I got to ask all of the questions and you might have some questions here. Um, do any of you here that have joined us today, do you have any questions or thoughts or anything like that? Isn't it been a fantastic, fantastic uh, uh, session? You know, we, we, we talked about the fact that, yes, you can um, learn and practice, uh, you know, cheerfulness, and that um, it's a characteristics of, of many, many saints to be cheerful. Um, Father Paul, any thoughts on, like, I, I'm a little bit extreme in certain ways, and I think it's like particularly important for a mom to be cheerful. Because <laughs> yes. I just say, there's no way you're going to attract people to the Catholic, your kids to the Catholic faith, if you're kind of like wronging around with a hanging face here. Okay, hi, Father Paul Pearson. I'm really enjoying this conversation and making me realize many things I have to change. Thank you. Um, please know. Anna and all of you, we, we offer a, a weekly mass for the intentions of all of the moms uh, connected with the ministry. And we all need grace. And that's, you know, yeah. the, one of the reasons we join is to actually be edified and work on those things instead of just kind of being angry. Eldora Harrison, I think Eldora, you're from Edmonton, I believe. Oh, Eldora, I know Eldora. You know Eldora. <laughs> Hi, Eldora. <laughs> can, can, for clerics, can clerics be can, can clerics be cheerful? I certainly hope so, um, since I probably am one. Um, uh, I, I think what we have to do there is to recognize um, the that it doesn't all depend upon me. I think clerics have an amazing gift of drive. And we have to make sure that that drive doesn't become self-destructive. I wanna use that, but I, I need to recognize that this is something that's just good for me, good for me, and it doesn't all depend upon me. I'm God's instrument here. The paintbrush doesn't worry about the Sistine Chapel. That's up to, you know, that's up to the, the artist, right? Mm. It's Michelangelo's job. And I, I can just be free. And so I think that that's the key for the cleric is, is to, not to try to turn off your drive, you need to use that, but to make sure that you recognize it doesn't all depend upon me. I'm just God's instrument. I'm the kid in the back seat. I'm not the driver. Okay, uh, another question. Um, please comment on how to help our husband in the context of what seems like overwhelming family stressors without mm -hmm. our own moods being affected that's like well, a complicated question it, okay <laughs> it, 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 probably the moods will, will still be affected but i think what we have to do first of all and this is when when things are so close to home when, when there are problems with our children same thing with my seminarians we take that so personally you know ah we, do, we just react viscerally and we have to be able to calm down and say god these are your children you work through me and even if this is painful right now, you're doing something special through it all. What did St. Monica have to go through before St. Augustine finally entered the church? 
Every time I go to Rome, I visit San Agostino and get a stack of prayer cards that's from Monica's tomb this big. And But they're gone in six days because I give them out like calling cards to mothers because Monica understands. She knows the mess and she was able to some extent to, to separate that mess from herself and say, God, I can't fix this person. This person is a unique person and only you can reach inside of a soul. And so I can't take responsibility for that. I can't even do that as a priest. As one of my instructors said, a very fine Dominican priest said, listen, I was all upset because I hadn't said the right thing and I hadn't convinced somebody of something. He says, listen, only God can move a heart. No matter how smart you are, you can only move an eardrum. <laughs> oh my goodness, how beautiful is that, eh? Yeah. Yeah, to, to remember that, um, that, you know, as moms, we have real limits. And um, I know one thing that one mom said in the Catholic moms group, which it was like, it was so simple, but so profound and it affected me so deeply. Um, you know, she said that most moms make the mistake of overreacting. Yes. Um, and and I, I was overreacting, I would say the first, you know, half of my kids' lives and I still, you know, um, like overreacting sometimes to something that my husband does. And, you know, the other day he's like, Dorothy, like, why are you screaming? Why are you angry? And I'm kind of like, I'm not screaming and I'm not angry. This is my temperament and this is who I am. And so I, I say to my son, Michael, what, what can I do to be a better wife? And this was in a car ride. I said, you know, I try and try and try. And I just, you know, we keep on. And he goes, look, mom, that's gonna cut the chill vibe. He's like the chill dad. He's like the chill. And you're like the running with the gun mom. <laughs> he goes, so until the day you die, you're gonna have conflict. <laughs> and, uh, and then we got into conversation how, you know, my kids are saying when they're growing up, they're a lot more afraid of me. And it was really handy because yeah. they'd come home in fear of me, but they wouldn't come home with dad because oh, dad's okay with everything. So then my husband's like, oh, so maybe that, you know, running with the gun, it served a purpose. <laughs> so anyway, um, that's neither here nor there. I don't know where that came from. Question yeah. for Dorothy Aldora. Will a recording of this session be made available um, yes, it will be made available. Um, we're a little bit behind on uploading our, our YouTube videos. We still haven't uploaded, you know, some of our talks from the Dynamic Women of Faith Conference. Um, our, you know, I, I, I ask all of you, you know, to pray for our ministry. All of our mothers group leaders are volunteer. And, mm. um, you know, I'm, I'm the only kind of person working full time on, on the ministry. And I'm, I'm like, what do I do? <laughs> what do I do? What do I do? And so, you know, we, we do need help. Um, we do need your patience and we do need your prayers. So as we pray for you, we ask for your prayers. Um, I would ask for those of you that feel called, maybe you can pray a rosary for Father Paul Pearson today in gratitude when you get home tonight or you're at home um you know 
prayer rosary. Like I think sometimes we forget we're blessed so much by our priests and uh, not too long ago I was at the cottage and I was like, oh, I'm gonna pray a decade for the priest that baptized me, the priest that gave me my first Holy Communion, the priest that gave me confirmation, um, you know, the one that married me and, and to try to, you know, remember to pray, especially today for Father uh, Paul Pearson. Um, any closing thoughts, Father Paul? I want to come back to something you had mentioned earlier. This is about how important it is to set the tone and what a mother can do. I think this is so important because sometimes we get so caught up with making sure that everything goes right, mm -hmm. that we forget that there's a sense of the home. Is it an uptight place? Is it demanding? Or is it really something which can feel safe and emotionally supportive. And I think that when it's going right, not only is that so helpful for the children, but it also hits all the right buttons for the mother. When you become the enforcer, it takes, <laughs> some, it takes something out of you. It takes something out of you. And I, I don't think most women are really made for that role. And I, and I think this idea of making the home a joyful place and that you are somehow an apostle of joy at home, I think is really an important thing. And my goodness, it, it makes your relationship with your, with your family so much better too. If it's some things don't get done and you had a joyful evening together, don't worry, that's more important. And and it's so it's so beautiful because again if our children never kind of feel our tenderness or our children never feel our hearts because we're so driven choleric angry <laughs> so you know these are all things i've struggled with um you know never made a cupcake then you know what's the the point i'll never forget too my son he was you know like now he's going to be 25 soon but he, when he was I don't know whether he was eight or nine I forget the exact year but he said to me he goes he goes mom like he goes why are a lot of Catholic moms weird that's kind of like oh, like what do you mean like because he's very he was very he's always been a very intelligent debater and so part of me wanted to just overreact him <laughs> but i was like oh well, what do you mean michael what do you mean weird and he goes well like you know mrs so-and-so won't let her kids drink juice and mrs so-and-so won't let their family ever watch any tv and you know mrs so-and-so and so he was just you know, and he goes, and then that others just, oh, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, because people don't talk like that. And so he had this like this seven or eight very kind of valid mm -hmm. um, points, you know, mm -hmm. and it kind of made me realize that, geez, that if, you know, we're going to pass down a wholesome model of Catholicism, we have to kind of be normal, right? And of course, not not bring in a case of, you know, Diet Coke every week or, you know, not, you know, but it was like, he goes like, you know, this other family, like the, the kids have never been on Young Street because their mother says it's evil. And I'm like, oh, I guess I'm failing as a mom because I've taken a Young Street quite often, right? So, um, so I encourage moms too to kind of like, 
put yourself in the shoes of your kids, you know, when it comes to Catholicism and, and try to make it cheerful and try to make it fun. It was, you know, one of the reasons why for like two years or more, I, I took my kids to daily mass at the airport because we lived so close to the airport and I had figured out where to park, where we could rush up, go to mass and then rush down and then watch the planes, right? Um, like, are there ways that you can kind of be Catholic, be normal and fun and, you know, in the world, but not of the world rather than, yeah, Catholic moms should be different, but not different, different, if you know what I mean. Does yeah, that make sense? I think that it is important that we that we have a way of interacting joyfully with our family, and but I, I do think that that isn't going to be going necessarily along with the world. You know, mm. I see families where I go to visit, and they're all sitting around on their screens, and I'm like, oh my goodness, really? Yeah, this is, this is crazy. They don't enjoy each other's company at all. Mm -hmm. And um, or they, they don't even, they're not even in one another's company, whether they enjoy it or not. So I think that there's, there's, we, we do have to find some way of making life joyful, but while it's still within our, 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 um, our rules. But on the other hand, I think we want to avoid thinking that somehow we live in such a crazy world. It's our job to be the gatekeeper for everything, because that just turns you into this the enforcer. And I think that is a destructive role, not only for children, but primarily for the mother. Yeah, um, I was just reading a, another uh, comment, because sometimes people comment to me in the chat, and, I, and my mind was a little taken away by one, one, one mom is saying that she's been um, kind of possessed by guilt, because she was the enforcer. Like, yeah. And I've been, you know, very often, you know, my husband was a convert to the Catholic faith. And so I was like raised with all of these traditions. And he was like, oh, I didn't know that. And I didn't know that. So very often it was me that was, you know, laying down the law. What, what might a mother do, you know, instead of being the gentle, kind and joyful one that she was the, she was the family cop or, you know, um, yeah. Is, is there anything a mom can do to kind of reconcile maybe that feminist side to the side that she could have been or because there's some I think, guilt? I think, I think the first thing is to handle the guilt part. And that's to say, listen, it's not my job to do to do all of this. My my job is to not is not to be the 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 Doberman for my children and, you know, to to. <laughs> Uh oh, I'm finding it that I'm too late. No. <laughs> so, okay, but, 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 and so I, I think it, and if anything possibly goes wrong, then you, you, you're you going to take it personally. So I have to be protective all the time. Well, mm -hmm. no, you have to get your children ready to engage with life. You have to get them ready to engage with life. One mother came to me and her, she had a toddler, maybe 15 month old boy. And he had a bruise in the middle of his forehead. And she started explaining to me right away. Well, he's just beginning to walk. And he, you know, he felt like, listen, he's 15 months old. He doesn't have a bruise. He's not trying. Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> and if you protected him from everything like that, he wouldn't learn to walk. Mm -hmm. And there, there has to be this balance between giving principles, but 
allowing them to stand on their feet and mm-hmm. teaching them how to stand on their feet. Because mm-hmm. sooner or later, you're not going to be there to be the enforcer. Mm-hmm. And it has to be internalized. It has to be, this is what we do. This is not what mom insists upon. This is what we do. Mm-hmm. And that's a hard thing. And I think if you put, first of all, the responsibility is burdensome. And secondly, it doesn't transfer. Mm-hmm. It doesn't transfer. And as soon as they're out from under your wing, they go off and do crazy stuff. Yeah, and sometimes much crazier than you had ever imagined, right? Um, anyway, I, you know, I, I could, we could probably go on and on because this is such a fruitful conversation. You know, someone's here is saying it's probably the best session we've ever had. I would say, well, we saved the best for last, you know? <laughs> so, um, uh, so Father, do you have any, first of all, thank you. I, I want to thank everyone for those of you that joined us today. Um, Yolanta, oh, hi, Yolanta. Yolanta has been on the Mother's Group Leader Team at Christ the King. Um, cheerfulness, cheerful people can trigger a chain reaction in other people uh, to be encouraged and positive and cheerful. Ask a nurse who comes to your aid with a smile. You know, so mm-hmm. very, very, very true. Um, Susan Monaco, thank you for this presentation. Very inspiring. Um, you're welcome. So, uh, Father, any first of all, thank you, thank you everybody for joining us. Um, thank you, Father Paul. Thank you for you know making the time. I know you have a remarkably busy schedule. Um, you've got a course that's coming up that maybe some moms in the GTA might be interested that's in. That's right. We, 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 every year we have one week of catechism classes for, and now because of COVID, the one of the blessings of COVID, you can come to the class in person, but you could also do it online. And if you and even whether you're online or not, you can also then watch all the courses for two weeks afterwards. Um, this week is the catechism. Next week we're doing something on Saint Philip and and sanctity. It's called people and books that begin with S, Saint Bonaventure, Saint Thomas. And um, so um, the that will be happening next week at the oratory. And there's still plenty of room for people to sign up. We don't have a, 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 a cap on the number of people to come. Um, and you could find all of that at the or- Toronto Oratory website. So if people want, uh, so what, what is the website? It's, it's, if you just Google Toronto Oratory, you'll find it, it's, but it's oratory-toronto.org. Okay, so um, yeah, and if anyone has any questions about the website, if you want to email us and I can forward it, but if, again, Father says if you Google Toronto and Oratory, you'll find uh, these remarkable courses that are available in person and or uh, online. And you've recently written a, a remarkable book or series of books on-, on the, 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 three, the three books on Dante, which are intended for everyday people. And my sister is not even a Catholic has read them. So the three books on Dante's Inferno, Purgatory, Paradise. And they basically just go through line by line almost and just talk in a normal way like we're talking now because uh, there's so much there, so much really great stuff. And I would really hope that most people who have any sort of education at all would, would have access to Dante. They're afraid of reading them on their own, but they could go through it with me a little bit at a time. Mm-hmm. And I think it's something that many people have been surprised at how much they get out of. And, and where could somebody find these books? They're, they're available here at the Oratory, but they're also available on Amazon. If you look up my name or spiritual direction from Dante. Spiritual direction from Dante. Okay, 
ladies, we've got so many things to do. I need to get a journal and start taking note of all of those moments and meditating and reflecting on them. Um, we need to get to confession to make sure that our hearts and souls are conduits to God's grace and we're, we're not being blocked. Um, we need to renounce the enforcer and, uh, you know, embrace the, the, the gentle, joyful mom that creates a, a nurturing environment. Um, we need to take a course at the oratory. <laughs> we also need to pick up a book. <laughs> um, anyway, and pray the rosary. I'm giving you some homework. Now, I'm sure that the Holy Spirit is, um, you know, calling someone to take the course. I'm sure that the Holy Spirit is calling someone maybe to start a Catholic moms group. Uh, pray and ask the Holy Spirit why he had you attend this event. I know it's to help you grow in your in the vocation of motherhood. And um, I know it's uh, for your edification and, and ours. So thank you for joining us. Um, any closing thoughts, Father Paul, before we go? I don't, I don't think so. I, I think we really have to trust in the fact that if we can let go of all this sense of unfounded responsibility, that we can be more effective. It's strange to think that by trying less to force things to happen, they actually happen better. Ah, <laughs> I think that was that was like directly from heaven to Polarski there. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that. Uh, and so, as I like to close, I'm so glad we had this time together just to have a laugh and pray a prayer. Seems we just get started, and before you know it, <clears throat> comes a time we have to say. So long, everybody. Um, thank you for joining us. Uh, please pray the rosary for Father Paul and uh, enjoy your summer and uh, don't turn to the cupcakes. Okay, take care. <laughs> okay, bye-bye, Father. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.